are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. This episode is brought to you by Daphne. Wait, who the heck is Daphne? Oh, I see here. It's a genus of deciduous and evergreen shrubs. Cool. Thanks, Daphne. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rootbound. I'm the host of the program, and my name is Steve. Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, and each week I invite a guest who joins me on the show to share with us all about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. Now, both of the plants we're going to talk about on today's shows happen to be named after parts of animals. So before we meet our guest, I thought it would be fun to uh, look up some other plants that share that same quality and list them out here today. So we've actually talked about a number of these plants on the show before. So for example, way back on episode 10 with Wen Ting, we talked about foxtail. We also talked about uh, goosefoot, which is also called lamb's quarters with Sean on episode 19. So both of those are kind of could be parts of animals. Um, we talked about, uh, on episode 82, staghorn sumac with Shane. Staghorn, uh, it's, you know, staghorn sumac has got two words, but still staghorn is, is a, a part of an animal. And then on episode 90, we talked about uh, the famous cattail with Irene. But here's a few other ones that we haven't covered on the show yet. Elephant ear, Colocasia esquilinta. I think that's a pretty common one. I think a lot of Colocasias could be called elephant ear. Um, there's also a plant called... Um, Latin name is Stachys Byzantina, called lamb's ears. We have some of that in this area. It's very soft, like a lamb's ear. Um, there's a plant that's native to North America that I don't think I've ever seen before, or at least I didn't know I've seen, and its uh, Latin name is uh, Chilone or Chilone glabra, and it is known as turtle head. And, looked at, I, and I looked at some pictures. It does look indeed like a turtle head. There is a plant uh, native to South China down into uh, Queensland, Australia, kind of that whole region that is known as cat's whiskers because it's got these long uh, stamen that look like cat's whiskers. Um, there is a species of milkweed that is known as antelope horns. And then there is a lotus from the Canary Islands known as parrot's beak. And then finally, uh, an Australian genus of plants called anegoxanthos which are known as kangaroo's paw. So uh, I thought it was a fun list. There's probably a lot more even obvious ones that I'm missing. So if you can think of any other plants that are named after the parts of animals, send me an email, rootboundpodcast at gmail.com, or reach out on Instagram at rootboundpodcast. And with that, let's meet our guest for today's episode. Well, how can a name be a problem? Well, even William Shakespeare said, what's in a name? He said, Who? <laughs> Hi, BC. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's groovy to be here. Wonderful. Do you have a plant to share with us today? I do have a plant. So I was really, I was thinking long and hard about what plant to share because I'm an Ohioan. A lot of, um, <laughs> I feel like a lot of my identity recently has started to surround being Midwestern and being an Ohioan. So I was like really thinking like, oh, I want to choose a plant that embodies this place that I'm from. And so I went through some less obvious options. And then finally I was like, who am I kidding? I need to talk about the Buckeye tree. And 
You know what's so funny? I, I don't think I know anything about the Buckeye tree, except for that it's like the tree of Ohio. It's crazy. And it's the we've, Buckeye State. We've capitalized yeah. on it. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's fun. So I'm excited to learn because I don't, I don't know anything about it. Wonderful. It, it's, a, it's kind of delightful. I had a great time researching the plant side because I am very familiar with the cultural side. And I do really feel like it's like, you know, there's a couple states where I know what, what plant they're identified with. Like I know South Carolina is the Palmetto State or whatever. But I do think yeah. it's funny that it's very iconic that like people know Ohio is the Buckeye State. So that even makes totally. me like, I think I, I, think I knew, knew it was the Buckeye State before I even knew Buckeye was a tree. <laughs> You know, no. like what's the, I was like, it's the Buckeye State. I have no idea what that means, but that's what Ohio is. You know? Well, let me tell you about it. So great, yeah, please. I looked up the Latin name. I believe it is Esculus glabra from the Esculus oh. family. I don't know what the Esculus family is. I think it has to do with like um like hickory and other seed bearing trees because the Buckeye is like a huge. It has like giant. Chunky seeds, which are the Buckeye nuts. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so the reason that I wanted to talk about this tree is partially because it, it has such a huge, like, cultural identity in Ohio. But the tree itself is, like, it's kind of strange and horrible in some ways. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's I'm very pretty to look at. I'm going to Google a picture while you're at. talking. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. totally. Pull one up. Yeah. Continue. Um, so usually it, it gets up to like 50 feet tall. It can also be about 50 feet around. So it's like, I feel like it's almost shrub-like to look like, like look at it, but like it is a tree. Um, the other thing about it is that it smells really bad if there's any injury to it. And I don't know why that is, but like if a leaf is torn or a branch is broken, it like is, it's disgusting smelling to the point where like you can't make it like a street plant. Like you can't plant it in a city because the smell is really bad. Interesting. <laughs> so have you heard Can either you describe of those things this? before? I, I had no idea. And I'm looking at the pictures of it and I, I don't know how I've gone. I'm like 40, almost 41 years old. I've gone my life not seeing this. I don't think I've ever seen one of these trees. I haven't spent a lot of, I mean, I lived in Pittsburgh though. That's probably Buckeyes there. Oh, yeah. I, I, just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know why I don't know what this tree is. But, yeah, I've never heard either of those things. So can you describe the smell? You know, I feel like it's weird. It's, like, hard to describe. And I was trying to recall it in my brain because, obviously, I've been around them. And I feel like the memory I have is almost like a like a swampy stink. Like, okay. almost, like, decaying, um, like, plant matter. Like, that kind mm, of smell. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not pleasant to be around. And honestly, the reason you've probably never seen them, because they're bizarrely widespread, like from Canada to certain places in the South, you can find the Ohio Buckeye. Interesting. But I really do wonder if the reason people don't see them is like, because they are gross. Like people don't plant them in public places on purpose. <laughs> I mean, you're probably getting to this. It's making me question more and more why Ohio decided to attach their identity to this stinky tree. It's it's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, okay, it's stinky, it, it's kind of big, it has these, like, kind of cool-looking, like, uh, like leaves where there's, like, five of them that kind of come from mm-hmm. each stem. I'm not sure what the technical designation for that is. I'm sure that there's think a I would, term for I it. I think I would say that would be palmate, perhaps. Oh, I'm not sure. so good at these words. I'm learning those for this podcast, but it is, I think that would be palmate. Correct me if I'm wrong, okay, the audience no. who was out there, but yeah, I think I'm looking at pictures. It looks fairly palmate to me. 
Okay. Well, that's cool to know. I, I totally believe that. Um, the other big thing of it, obviously, is that every single part of the Buckeye tree is poisonous. So the nuts that come off the Buckeye tree are poisonous. The bark is poisonous. The leaves are poisonous to the point where, like, if there is one in a field where cows graze, like, farmers will cut down the tree because if the cattle eat it, like, they can die. So. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Did you know about the poisonous nature of this tree? Did I you did not either. I was, I was looking at the the these really big nuts, and I was like, "Why well, haven't heard about those? Because they look like they're big, you know, edible things." But no, I guess. No. Yeah. Okay. So I know that the picture I am painting is of a plant that is deeply <laughs> undesirable. <laughs> you, what did around. you say? Big and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the thing that I love so much about it is because. I feel like it embodies the spirit of Ohio, that there was kind of this terrible, terrible plant that, like, maybe you would look at and be like, what, what is the use of this plant? Like, it doesn't seem useful. It, it seems, like, maybe even inconvenient to have around. Um, but the people of Ohio have taken on, like, the culture of the Buckeye, like, as a plant in this way that is, like, truly kind of bizarre. Growing up, I had, like, a hat that was in the shape of a Buckeye, um, you've probably Adorable. seen like Ohio State like Buckeye fans wearing big strings of Buckeye nuts because once you dry them out, they're like they last forever. Like you can string them together or make things out of them. So like people wear them as like as like uh, game day jewelry. Um, <laughs> the other thing is that there's a very popular candy that is also called a Buckeye. Have you seen these before ever? No. Okay, so picture, like, the inside of a Reese's peanut butter cup. It's like a ball okay. of peanut butter that's chocolate-dipped uh -huh. just to leave a little bit exposed. So it literally looks exactly like the poisonous Buckeye nut. But it is, like, <laughs> you can find it in any candy store in Ohio. Like, it is, like, a popular wow. and beloved thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I love this tree because I was born in Ohio. I grew up in Ohio. I feel like it's become, a, you know, a thing that I love and I really appreciate the beauty of the place that I'm from. And I felt like kind of the older I got, the more people I ran into who would be like, oh, you're from Ohio? Like, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Or like, wow, so what are you going to move to the to the West Coast, to the East Coast, to whatever? And for a while, I was kind of like, yeah, you're right. Like, there are some bad things about about living here. But then throughout the last couple of years, and specifically since I started writing my book, which takes place in Ohio, I feel like I've started to reclaim some of the stuff that I, I really enjoy about it. And I feel like Ohioans and their love of the Buckeye tree just like really embodies the spirit of like, you know, this is polarizing. Some people might like this place. Some people might not. But we love it. And... We're going to just incorporate it into our lives in all these, like, strange and funny ways. So, yeah, that's my so that's my spiel. That's so fascinating. Um, I, yeah, and I think I'm trying to think this. Audience can chime in if they think something else. It might be the, the like, state that's most, like, identified with a plant. Like, you know, like, you're right. There's a palmetto plant. But, like, they don't call – like, people from South Carolina don't call themselves palmettos. But, like – Ohioans are, are Buckeyes, right? Like they're yeah. like, 
It's it's like they've taken on the identity. That is so interesting, especially those details about the plant that I did not know. Um, I will note, uh, also for the audience who haven't seen them before, looking at the pictures, the flowers look quite beautiful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So another kind of like strange thing about the plant is that it's a really early bloomer. And usually oh. in the winter, it's like as it turns to spring, the buckeye is like the first tree to become green again. Um, so it has like kind of this weird cycle of, of like, it gets its foliage and it's kind of before anything else is flowering and the flowers are like, they're really big and like beautiful looking. Um, and then in the fall too, like it will start turning red and orange before any other tree and like loses its leaves before anything else is losing its leaves. So it's so strange. It's such an oddball. Yeah, so interesting. Uh, well, okay, would you have any other fun facts or dazzling details to share about the buckeye tree? Um, yeah, okay. So one other thing, which I feel like you kind of were just bringing up, is like uh, how like people call themselves buckeyes, like if you're from Ohio. And I've always been curious about that because I had assumed that it was because we have so much association with like Ohio State football, which like makes sense. Like it's a good college football team. It's a huge university, like just absolutely sprawling. But I, I like I went and actually kind of like did some research on it, and I found out that Buckeye has been a nickname for Ohioans since the 1800s. Wow. Which is yeah, I was like, wow, that's longer than I expected, and so it was something people were already calling people from Ohio, and then in uh, 1953 when it was named the official state tree, it was almost just like ratifying something that had already <laughs> kind of been like normalized like you know everyone knew that people from ohio and they're called the buckeyes for whatever reason so <laughs> i so thought it was interesting funny. Yeah. yeah that's so yeah. fascinating i wonder what the history is that's like probably hard to track down sometimes but like right. so fascinating yeah yeah i mean i, I, wish, I, I wish yeah. i knew too no go ahead what were you gonna say yeah i was gonna say i'm just imagining you're like traveling through ohio like in the 1800s and you meet some people from there and these weird trees that like it probably yes. like, like sticks in your brain you're like oh okay yeah those are the buckeyes i guess yeah totally yeah. interesting yeah. so Absolutely. interesting there was something else that you were just making me think of that I feel like I had learned about these. Oh, the the one other thing that I guess is like a helpful thing by way of explanation is that the reason that they're called buckeyes is because like the the little nut resembles like the eye of a deer, which like Makes sense. I'm sure like yeah. is intuitive to most people, you know, but there is like kind of a weird like you grow up just hearing buckeye all the time and it like loses meaning a little bit. So I was like, oh, yeah, right. I guess, yeah, it has a reference in nature. I literally just thought of that today, honestly. Like, because for me, Buckeye just was like a thing. I don't know. It was like a, it was like a Hoosier or something. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah. some word that doesn't mean anything. That probably has a meaning too, but I just didn't. And then I was, when we get to my plant, I was trying to find a plant that was somewhat correlation. And so my plant has a animal's body, body part in it too. Uh, which they, so, but then I was like, oh, wait, Buck. Oh, yeah, I guess that's talking about a deer. So in, interesting. Well, now I'm so intrigued. I'm like, I'm trying to think of what other <laughs> plants have animal body part, like, associations in their name. There's probably more that I'm thinking of, but, um, but yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to, I don't want to get away from this, uh, this uh, terrible, <laughs> as you say, tree <laughs> too soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the one other thing, like, that I felt like was, 
I don't know. It just feels like it falls in with the the theme of like this being this kind of horrible plant that people have like turned into this beloved thing is that people do carry like buckeye nuts, like dried ones in their pockets as good luck charms. Oh, um, cool. So that's just kind of another like I don't even know exactly how that that got started. Like I think it's funny that people would take this poisonous thing with them wherever they go. It's like, oh, my little good luck charm, you know? It's like a little yeah. bit ironic. So, yeah, there's all this, like, folklore. And, like, the more you delve into it, almost, like, the more wormholes you could go down. Where you're like, well, where did that tradition come Where did that tradition come from? Like, this doesn't... There's so many things about it that don't make any sense, you know? So, I was hoping very, I could find true. some real deep folklore, too. Because I know that there were, like indigenous american people who who knew about this tree long before any you know whatever like people who came and settled the land would have known about it so yeah i'm sure there's tons of super interesting stuff i mean that's what i mean plants are so fascinating and that's one thing i'm really interested in is that is that kind of anthropological history and like how their uses changed and how they're interpreted so yeah that's super fascinating and it is so interesting that this whole state is associated with this tree that i didn't realize is such a an odd tree. I wonder, growing up in Ohio, did, like, do you learn about that tree in, like, elementary school? What is your, like, first, like, memory of, like, knowing about this tree? Mm, that's a really good question. You definitely, like, I think you kind of can't avoid learning about it in some ways growing up, for sure. Just because, like, the emblem of, like, the Buckeye is all around you. Like, especially if, you know, your parents are Ohio State fans, which mine both are. Um, but like the first time I ever remember someone teaching me about the Buckeye tree was my dad gave me like a, a necklace of Buckeyes and he was like, I was little, like probably like five Uh or six. And I remember him telling me like, I I know this is really pretty, but you cannot put those in your mouth. Like they are poisonous. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like a little freaked out as a little kid. Uh, but Then, like, shortly after that, maybe, I don't know, maybe just to normalize it a little more and teach us about a cool plant. Uh, I remember going on some sort of, I guess, like, a little mini field trip with, like, me and some siblings and some friends. And we went to, like, an arboretum where they had some buckeye trees. And there were a bunch of buckeyes falling all over the ground. And then we were allowed to just kind of go and collect them and you know we got the don't eat these they're poisonous um lecture again and so it was kind of like a simultaneous education of like yeah this is our thing and this is like a part of our you know weird ohioan cultural identity it's also a football thing and then also like kind of this weird peripheral like and here are some plant facts just so you don't get in trouble (laughs) <laughs> when you're when you're around this thing so i don't know does that does that answer your question totally actually so what you just said is interesting you know like i i think like maybe most people who follow you on instagram don't know a ton about the plot of your book but i do know it has this kind of like interesting kind of gothish vibe and i feel like putting a necklace of poisonous uh, seeds around a young girl's neck might have had a very impact on that sensibility oh, perhaps there, there may or may not be a very gothic uh, reference to the Buckeye within said story. So interesting. You know, I, I will hope people definitely. Will follow along. I will keep uh, my eyes open for that. That is a super interesting. Yeah. How dare you read my mind like that? Crazy. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, for sure though. It's a little spooky, especially as a as a small child, but like spooky in a cool way. 
a red bird danced with a green bullfrog. Well, that's what this song says, and it's called Buckeye Jim. Above the sky, a bluebird lived in a jaybird's eye. Buckeye Jim, you can't go, go weave and spin, you can't go. Buckeye Jim. Way up yonder, above the moon, a blue jay nest in a silver spoon. Buckeye Jim, you can't go, go weave and spin, you can't go. Buckeye Jim. Very good. Thank you for sharing about the Buckeye Tree with me. I'm definitely going to be reading more and keeping my eye out, so to speak, yeah. uh, for that tree uh, around me where I live. Uh, but do you mind if I share a plant with you? I would love... I've been trying to figure out what the animal in the name is. So yes, absolutely. Okay. So so like I said, I wanted to choose something with an animal, with a with a with like an animal's body part listed in, to it. And there's a few more that I'm probably going to think of now. But the first one that came up, and I actually got confused when I was thinking about it because I thought that the plant was called cat's eye but it's actually and then I, I was googling I was like no that's another there's a plant somewhere called that nothing around here but I was like oh yeah it's actually called cat's ear oh I'm intrigued yeah. it's pretty cool and this is a plant you've probably seen um I have I have like one in my yard I'm surprised I don't have more learning more about it um let's see where to start so let's start with the um the Latin name. I love that. Thank you for doing that with your plant, too. So this one is called Hypocaris radicata, Ooh. which is a cool-sounding name. And uh, there was a little bit of back and forth of what Hypocaris means. Um, the one I think I believe most is it has to do with the Greek word hypo, which means under, and and quarus, which means pig, and it's alluding to pigs digging up the roots of this plant. Um what? So I, I may, but but there was one other one that said something else about it, like not being joyful, which was referencing its weedy habit. I don't believe that one though. Okay. Either way, very intriguing. Yeah, radicata. This is fun for you as someone who's uh, who who's into words. Radicata comes from the root radix, which means roots, and radicata basically means conspicuous roots. But I never realized this. Radicata is also related to a word eradicate which means to take root and the opposite is eradicate which oh, means to eliminate that just blew my mind a little bit <laughs> also okay there's so many words that have weird opposites that i've never heard of before i know eradicate yeah. it makes yeah. sense that there would be eradicate yeah but i like i've never i've never described something taking root like that i'm gonna lock that one in my brain for future use yeah. that's so, so it's cool. like and you could apply it to anything you know like uh you know 
I've thoroughly eradicated in this house. We've been here for about five years, and we're you know. It's really uh, so, useful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I so I thought that was interesting. So I got that from that that specific epithet, which is radicata, which just refers to the roots. But yeah, I didn't realize there was that that connection there. Um, all right, let's talk about the plant specifically, what it is, what it looks like. Cat's ear, like I said, you've probably seen it before, and because it's its other most common name is false dandelion. Oh, oh wait, and I'm it looks a picture. Good. It looks a lot like a dandelion, but it has some pretty key things that you can tell it apart. Um, probably the most obvious thing from a distance is that it has kind of longer flower stalks than a dandelion, and the flower stalks can have forks in them, whereas a dandelion only has one stalk with a, one flower on it. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm seeing this now. And it yeah. is kind of bizarre looking. It's like a big, like, yeah. it looks like a like a dandelion mutant almost, but like in a sure, cool yeah. way. And I think when I first saw it, I was like, that's just a weird dandelion. But no, it's a separate plant. It's a separate genus. It's not even the same. It's the same family as um, dandelion or the same, yeah, the same family. So it's, uh, it is an Asteraceae family, which is the family of daisies and sunflowers and things like that. It's... Um, uh, but it is in a completely different genus, but it's very similar. Um, the other thing that's very, um, that you can tell the difference is the leaves look pretty similar to dandelion, except <clears throat> the lobes are not sharp. They're rounded. So like a dandelion is pointy at the end and has kind of pointy, um, uh, pointy like serrations and the cat's ear is rounded. And then the cat's ear is also kind of soft and fuzzy and I have this line, like, so you can think it kind of looks like a cat's ear, but I have this line that I read in a, I found a book, an old book that's um, uh, Nature Study Notes, 100 of the Most Abundant Insects, Birds, and Wildflowers in New Zealand. To note, this is uh, from Europe, but it's been invasive all around the world. So this is a description of, of why it's called cat's ear. Um, it says, if part of a leaf, including two adjoining lobes, is held between the two thumbs... The resemblance to a cat's ear is striking. So I think if you're holding the leaf, oh. audience can't see this like this, and you just have the tip of it in, it looks like a cat's ear. And it's also soft. I think it's more like mm-hmm. soft, like the inside of a cat's ear, maybe a little bit, or maybe a, a, like a very uh, short-haired cat. So it does have this furriness, which is, which is interesting. That so that's another sense. way you can tell. It, it is more round. It's got the fuzziness, which uh, dandelions don't have. Yeah. And then when they're growing, the, the, the bud is quite a bit smaller and more round than a dandelion bud. The, the dandelion bud has a little bit more of a cone shape, and this is a little bit more, like, round and spindly. So um, it's a cool plant. I, I've got one in my yard, and, and it's, it, it, like I said, it's it's kind of invasive all around the world, considered invasive. Actually, in Washington State, it's considered a noxious weed, so I'm surprised mm-hmm. I don't have more in my yard. Okay. Um, I do have a lot of dandelion in my yard, um, but not this one. So, yeah, that's, that's some details about it. Oh, so uh, one other thing I think is interesting... We talked about this on, I think, the first, second episode of the show. We talked about dandelion. I think it is a little bit interesting, and maybe there's some reason why. So dandelion, that name comes from the French word for dandelion, which is dent de lion, which means lion's tooth. Oh, that makes sense, so, I guess. Yeah. Right. So if you look at the leaf of a dandelion, it looks like these sharp teeth. So it's very interesting. This other plant that looks similar is also named after a cat, a different part of a cat. That is so, odd. <laughs> Do you they know? grow in the same places? Like where totally. you can find yeah. one, can you find the other? Absolutely. In, in fact, their native range of both. Dandelion is a lot more complicated, but the predominant native range of dandelion is Eurasia as well as this. So um, uh, so they're, they grow in the same places. And so I don't, I don't know. It would be interesting to say, like, why they decided to 
to lean in on this like cat yeah. uh, metaphor with these little <laughs> yeah they saw these two plants and they were like mm, cat vibes for both yeah. but in different ways <laughs> yeah <laughs> that one's cool. lion's tooth that one's cat's ear um all right, so let, oh, it does also have um, floating seeds like a dandelion, so it spreads that way through these, um, f- you know, floating seeds. They're not quite; they don't get quite as like globular, puffball, kind of beautiful. They're a little bit more like scruffy in the way that they form. Okay, I'm looking at a photo of that now, and like this is like blowing my mind a little bit because I've definitely seen this, obviously, yeah. and just thought like, oh, it's like a weird, slightly uglier dandelion, and like never questioned it and like hearing that they're not even from the same genus is a little yeah. bit mind-blowing like the two plants yeah. could look so similar but like biologically be very different it's crazy yeah super interesting um i took a screenshot of my phone i want to read here uh so the one interesting thing about them like dandelion every part of the plant is edible i don't know if you knew that about dandelion no. uh, we talked about that in the episode uh dandelion greens are great they're kind of like got an arugula vibe you can uh you can make tea out of dandelion root. You can do stuff with the flowers. And same thing with uh, cat's ear, um, except I've, uh, I had a friend, uh, I have a friend, uh, Amy Anderson, who's been on the podcast a couple times. She has, I've never eaten uh, cat's ear. I only have one. I should this year. I should get into it. For whatever reason, I've never tried it. But she posted something on Instagram a while back. And so this is a quote uh, from her. I said, how, how does it taste versus dandelion? And she said, it's definitely more a more substantial green. I usually blanched dandelion for a minute or two before a quick saute, but I boiled these for maybe 10 minutes and sauteed almost just as long. So they're, they're thicker and tougher um, than dandelion, apparently. And she says the taste is similar uh, if you were to compare side by side, but mature dandelion leaves would be a bit more bitter. So this may be huh. cat's ear is tougher, but maybe not as bitter as dandelion leaves. That, so. that is interesting because I'd almost assume, I don't know, maybe I associate toughness and bitterness together. But like the texture you're describing almost makes me think of like a collard green like something that really needs oh. to be stewed to like make it good that's interesting yeah that's what it seems like so oh. i'm definitely gonna try because with the dandelion greens i'll eat those raw not cooked um they can be too bitter for some people but i don't mind that like i I've, i was doing that a lot a couple of years ago putting using dandelion greens as like greens on a salad um but i've also i've also sauteed them and cooked them with eggs and stuff and they're, yeah they're, they're a great green i i highly recommend if you have dandelions somewhere that you know where they're growing, because you don't want to pick them anywhere, someone might be putting pesticides. But if they're in your yard and your yard has no pesticides or you find them in some place really wild where you're not going to, like, worry about that, they are a great green. And if you roast the roots to make tea, the smell of the roasting roots is just phenomenal. There, It's great. And I guess it's similar with cat's ear. What's the... It almost smells chocolatey when you're roasting them. The tea doesn't taste like that, for sure. The tea just tastes kind of, like, earthy. But the smell of roasted dandelion roots, and I'm 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 gonna try cat's ear and see if it's very similar because you can I've heard you can make tea from the roots of cat's ear as well. Um, perhaps the roots are are even better because the 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 scientific name is about pigs wanting to get at the roots, so maybe yeah. they're like really tasty. Um, so I'm gonna well I only have one in my yard, so I don't want to pull the roots for the one in my yard because because then it's good it's done. Um, but. If I find some more, maybe it's spread this year, I might try the roots. But I'm definitely going to try some leaves, leaves in the spring. That's my goal. Do you do you ever forage your own plants, like, for for cooking or eating or anything? Totally. That's something that I'm pretty into. I'm bas- I'm pretty beginner at it. There's people I've had on the show who are much more into foraging, and, and I'm really into that. Amy Anderson, I just mentioned, she's got, like, she does really cool stuff with stuff she forages. Um, I'm a little bit more basic. But, yeah, the dandelion is, like, a, is like level one forager's plant 
Um, there's also one that I talk about on, I think, the first episode of the show called Bittercrest, which is pretty common. That's a really great kind of easy green. There's a lot of greens that are super easy. Um, but, uh, oh, there's one that you definitely have in Ohio that's one of the coolest things you can forge, I think, in North America, which is the pawpaw fruit. Are you familiar with the pawpaw? I am familiar with the pawpaw. We have a, I mean, you probably know, we have a pawpaw festival up here. It's like a, it's a big deal. People love it. Oh, cool. I didn't, I, there's a, you know, pawpaw festivals are, you know, around, but I, I didn't know, but yeah, I knew that they were in Ohio, which is, you know, for me a little surprising because that's pretty far north for this thing that almost seems tropical. But right. yeah, that's, I think, a little bit the edge of the range, but I think there's even a whole, a whole, um, uh, cultivar or like breed of pawpaws that are from Ohio. Like I, I think that's like a, they have, the, the genetics are a bit different up there and they're like a little I, bit more hardy than even here. So that's, that's I, cool. I so that's a really great that. forage that's plant. That's cool. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm totally into that stuff and, and, and trying to get more into it. It's, it's been a little trickier in the last year or so since we, we had a kid and, uh, uh you know, the getting out and picking weird plants is yeah. a little bit trickier these days, but soon <laughs> I'm going to get back into it. <laughs> Okay, I have just a couple more things to mention here. I tried to get into, uh, because you're a writer, I tried to get into some historical sources of something interesting Ooh. about this plant. And it was a little bit tricky, but I did pull out a few two interesting things. One is from a publication that has an incredibly long name, which I just want to read because it's really fun. And then I'll read the very short segment about Cat's Ear after that. I think the, I think the title of this thing is, is longer than the section in this about cats here. Back in the day, they had they had some titles. So, <laughs> this is by a guy named Thomas Forster. I think he was a professor at Oxford in like the 1800s. Cool. And this this paper is called Illustrations of the Atmospherical Origin of Epidemic Diseases and Its Relation to Their Prospondent Constitutional Causes and on the Twofold Means of Prevention, Mitigation, Cure, and the Powerful Influence of Change of Air as a Principal Remedy by yeah, by Thomas Forster. So yeah. Okay, yeah. I know this is a an audio medium, and so people can't see my face right now. But the expression that I was making as like each extra word was tagged onto that title was just like astonishment. Like I can't imagine reading that book back in the day and then remembering the title to recommend it to a friend. Totally, so, totally. Anyways, well, if you ever want to talk on. about, I think if you want to throw into the Erie Legacy's predespondent constitutional causes of anything, what? that's probably good. What, what does it mean? <laughs> I don't quite know. But anyway, <laughs> this book, from what I understand, or this publication, from what I understand, is it's about ways, it, it's basically trying to figure out the like atmospheric, or I guess, environmental root of diseases. Okay. Oh, and it's it's very long, but there's a section that is uh, that the title of the section is uh, there is in many diseases a diurnal periodicity of symptom, which from analogy we might suppose be atmospherical. <laughs> and this section is basically saying some diseases come and go during the, like they're there during the day and they're gone at night. Oh, right? that's fascinating. Right, For like so sometimes you have a. Well, no, this is for people. Oh, oh Some, okay. Sometimes you, sometimes you get a cold and you're sick and you feel it more in the day than you do at night. Oh, and, yeah, Or vice okay. versa, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. That's, and that's real. And then he uses, he uses as evidence that it's clear that other pla- plants and other living things, and he has a lot of citations that plants have these diurnal cycles, and so he's basically like, diseases might have that too. Here's some evidence of some living things that have these diurnal cycles. And then he says, other plants, particularly those of the class Synegensia, open and shut at stated hours. The cat's ear and many other composite flowers of the sort close at about three in the afternoon. Huh. Wait. So he's using that as evidence of like this periodicity of like living things. The scientific stuff around it is probably a little bit loose, 
but I, I liked it. And I, when I read the title, I was like, I got to bring this because it's, so it's a very good. long title. I mean, that's and a sorry. fascinating hypothesis. I'm like, yeah. and so, but then that means that the flower does indeed, like it will close in the afternoon. I guess so. I have to pay attention next year and see if like, wow. see what time it closes. I imagine it'll be a little bit different where I live than where Thomas Forster lives and, and over time and things like that. So it may not close right at three in the, in the afternoon. Uh, but I wonder, I'll, I'll keep an eye on that. There, I've definitely noticed, um, we talked about a number of episodes ago about, um, about chicory flowers. And oh, those yeah. definitely have this thing where they pop in the morning and then they're all closed in the afternoon and it looks like the plant is dead, but then the next day they pop again and it's, it's very interesting. So, okay. Um, I didn't know that. I like, I have a tiny bit of familiarity with, um, wait, say the name you just said again, chicory, 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 chicory. flowers. Yeah. I wanted to say chickweed for some reason. And I was like, That's that is also thing. another thing. Yeah. But yeah, chicory, is that the one that people will also like make a beverage out of? Like you can drink Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Okay. I was yeah. like, where have I Either heard that root. before? That's cool. An interesting chicory is in the same family. It's in the Asteraceae family along with dandelions and, and cat's ear. And there's a lot of those plants in that genre that people roasted the roots and made a tea as a coffee substitute when people couldn't get a hold of coffee. And it's like, there's no caffeine, but if you want a bitter beverage, that kind of dark color, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense, actually. Yeah, I have read about this in like works of fiction where they drink chicory and I never really knew like why or what part of it it was but that's cool to know that it's all cat's ear dandelion chicory you can roast the roots and check out the chicory episode of the podcast i go and deep dive into the history of chicory as a beverage it's very fascinating napoleon is involved what? Um, oh i'm fascinated all right <laughs> yeah. i'll line that up for listening that sounds great yeah and then uh i have i don't think i have the quote from this part so apologies for that um but this is um this is there was another plant that was basically like a rust. Oh yeah, that's right. It was it was it was because there was very little in this one. But this this was another mention of uh, cat's ears, which was very slight, but a very uh, another long title, which is fun. This is this is a fourth part of a book uh, that uh, that I forget the name of. I'll put a link in the show notes. But the part four of the book is called "The Rustic Calendar Deduced from Reputed Authorities and with the Average Times of Arrival and Departure of Birds." The flowering plants and other natural phenomena. Ooh. So in this book, which uh, which has a lot of stuff about natural stuff, there is a whole section that is a calendar based off of when natural things pop up. And according to this rustic calendar, which I don't know where it's based, somewhere in England, the cat's ear shows up at around May 18th. So you can tell oh. it's May 18th when the cat's ear shows up. Now that's probably very different in different parts of the world and very different sure. today than it was when this was written. But the, the, this book is really interesting because it basically takes every day of the year and tells you what natural phenomenon is happening then, which links back to something I mentioned in a number of episodes is the study of, which is it's still currently a study today. It's a scientific study called phenology, which is the study of periodic events and biological life cycles and how these are influenced by seasons. And oh, so- Oh, that's so cool. Is more like tricky now, but yeah, that that's um, what you were talking about with the buckeye and the, that it flowers or that it, it leaves out earlier and it loses leaves earlier than other plants is kind of a phenological thing that you could study and look at and and yeah. So uh, the, the so the, the mention of cats here was very minor in this, but it reminded me of that study. So that's so cool. Like, I mean, I'm sure it depends on like uh, you know climate and location and time period, like you were referring to. But is there stuff like today still that you can calculate almost down to the day like that where people can be like, around this day, this plant will emerge in the spring or whatever? 
I think it's not it's not like you can't say every year it's going to be the same, but the one that I mentioned specifically in the episode about phenology is the cherry blossoms, and there's a really pretty good calculation based off of the number of cold days under a certain temperature that you can predict when mm-hmm. after that the cherry blossoms will blossom and it has to do with the way the plant is kind of counting time and i, right. I forget how that goes it's not as off it's not like the plant has a little computer in it but it ends up being like that it basically the temperature's below a certain certain temperature for a certain number of days in a row and then some number of days after that the cherry blossoms blossom and then there's some really interesting s- studies that you can show over time how that date has gotten later and later on average which is a really interesting mm-hmm. indicator of climate change right and so using that phenological systems you can learn other stuff about the natural world. Super fascinating. That is kind of cool. That like, I mean, I I know plants are so much more complicated than maybe like on the surface, I would think, you know, because it's yeah. like, I don't see a brain. They're not waving around arms and creating things or making messes. Like they're just kind of growing and existing. But hearing stuff like that, I'm like, that's a smart plant. Like that is crazy that something in its biology can track you know, for sure. X amount of cold equals X amount of time. And now I can blossom or whatever. And it, that will like, I'm kind of fascinated to hear like, what, how will that shift? Like, is the climate shifts? Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of insane. It's so interesting. And like, I'm sure like, you know, you can, the more I've done this podcast, the more I've thought about that and come to this understanding. I think that, you know, plants have this, it's consciousness. It's not a way that we're conscious but it's a thing, and they, they have an intelligence, and they make decisions, and it's very different. So it's hard for us to make this, like, comparison, right? Right. Be- because they live on such different time scales. And the, but, but there is this, like, fundamental, like, it's hard to, I don't know what else to call it, but intelligence. Um, it's just so different from us. Uh, so anyway, it's interesting. And, yeah, I, I, I'm sure that if we dug deeper into the biology of the Buckeye, we'd get some more of that stuff as well. I know. Now I want to know. I like when I was reading that stuff about like, oh, it 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 leaves out earlier in the season and then drops all its leaves earlier in the fall. I'm like, yeah, that that tallies. But like, why does it do that? You know, like it yeah. must be. It makes me wonder about what you're saying. Like, what is it internally tracking, and how is that benefiting the plant that it, you know, that it does those things? So that's fascinating. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, cool. I think it's a great way to end the show. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Yeah, absolutely. It was delightful. Glad I could be here. Cat. A cat is a friend with fur. A cat is a pillow that hugs you back. Cats are the croutons on the salad of life. A cat is an angel that poops in a box. What a wonderful conversation with BC about the Buckeye and Cat's Ear. And here at the end of the show, I want to talk a little bit more about some surprising words that are related to plants that we may not think about it. So we talked about the word eradicate, which is uh, the opposite of the word eradicate, which means to take root. But that is also the same root as the word radical, uh, which is unexpected. But radical means that uh, from the deepest or most fundamental like the roots of a plant. And so if you think about something that is like a radical change, that is change from the very root. Uh, so I thought that was cool. And since this podcast is called Root Bound, this show is very literally a radical podcast. So that, I thought that was fun. Another word that I found that was very surprising has a plant origin is the word sycophant. 
get ready. This is quite the journey. So sycophant is based on Greek, and it comes from that part phant, which comes from the word uh, phainin or phainin, which means to show or reveal. And siko comes from sikon, which is the uh, Greek word for fig. So the word sycophant literally means the revealer of figs. <laughs> now, how do we get that? You know, so sycophant, for, for those of you who can't conjure the definition uh, in English, the definition of sycophant is one who praises powerful or wealthy people in an insincere way, usually to gain some advantage. Now, how did we get that from a revealer of figs. It's a pretty interesting history. Uh, most of this comes from an article that I read in the Greek Reporter by a journalist named Giorgio Pinsas Monzani, and the article is called The Ancient Greek Story Behind the Word Sycophant. And to summarize, essentially, in the Greek region of Attica, at one time, it was illegal to export figs, and it was because the... Uh, those in charge wanted the figs to be enjoyed by the people of the region. And so, you could, by turning in someone who was illegally exporting figs, you could receive money in exchange. So there was people who are going out there, finding people who were illegally exporting figs, and then turning them into authorities to get some cash. And that ended up getting a negative connotation because, you know, no one likes a tattletale, no one likes a snitch. And so that is how sycophant the revealer of figs, uh, started to have a negative connotation and it kind of just evolved from there. So I thought that was a super fascinating word uh, that has a plant origin that I uh, did not know. If you can think of any words that have origins related to plants that we don't really expect, send me a message, rootboundpodcast at gmail.com or message on Instagram at rootboundpodcast. And with that, let's end this episode of Rootbound. Thank you for listening. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was B.C. Vital. You can follow along with B.C. as she moves through the publishing process for her book, The Eerie Legacies, on her Instagram, which is at B.C. Vital Writes. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com support to find all the ways that you can support the program, including supporting the show on Patreon. Rootbound is hosted by totally radical podcaster Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, you could drape yourself in a necklace of buckeyes, but just don't eat them. Daphne. Sounds like a lady, but it's actually a genus of deciduous and evergreen shrubs.